So maybe your dream was you wanted to tour the world playing only your totally um, original music that you write, but then it might show up really differently and you might get the opportunity to tour the world playing in someone else's band or playing cover songs. I mean, I've seen magic happen, magic, magic, when you're able to go I think a day in my life is a better day if I'm holding my guitar than if I'm not, you know, as opposed to, you know, I just, it has to show up this way and I have to be, you know, that's when it's going to be tricky at, at best. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and thanks for listening to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast. Our goal with this show is to help you create great music, to connect with your fans, and to grow your business. And this episode is going to be instrumental in that, I promise you. The normal format of the show is that I interview female independent musicians who have had some great success with their music and creating a sustainable business out of that, or I interview industry professionals who are female that I believe have some content that can help you really grow your business. And today is a little bit different because I heard this interview on my friend Jen Eads podcast. Now Jen Eads, you may remember, was on episode number, I think it was number six, um, where she talked about networking and accountability partners and masterminds and and, you know, she's an audio editor and she talked about her podcast and, you know, she had so much to bring to that conversation. And she has her own podcast for females in the music industry called The Brassy Broadcast. And I heard this interview on her show a while back and it was such a well done interview. There's so much juicy content in here. I asked Jen and also Ariel Hyatt if I could rebroadcast this interview on my show when I felt like it was the right time. And I'm so excited to bring this to you today. This interview is completely intact, the interview that she had with Jen, and I didn't want you to miss a minute, so we kept the whole thing intact. Before we get to the interview, in the spirit of this episode and all the things that Ariel's going to be teaching you, I want to mention that my new platform called Female Musician Academy and Artist Collective is opening on June 1st. This is super exciting for me and I think for you as well because this is an opportunity to learn all the things about your music career that you may have been wondering about or fill in a few gaps or maybe you're just starting out and you want to understand how to build your audience, how to engage your audience, how to grow your income. And I am going to be bringing in tons of amazing experts. I'm going to be presenting content on basic strategies as well as really current information on like new things that I think are going to help you market your music. So that is going to be open June 1st. It's called Female Musician Academy. And I'd love for you to go over to that website and sign up so you can get in there right when it opens on June 1st. 
In fact, we are going to be giving away a free month of Female Musician Academy to people that give us an iTunes review. We're going to draw one every month and give away a free month. So I hope you'll go on iTunes and give us a written review. You can't just do the little five-star thing. You got to actually write the review so we know who you are and um, leave your name so we can find you. And we'd love to give you a free membership. And now, without any further interruptions, here is the value-packed interview with Jen Eads and Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR. Hello, gorgeous. Welcome to the Brassy Broadcast. I'm your host, Jen Eads, with author, lunchbox collector, and trailblazing Cyber PR founder, Ariel Hyatt. Ariel, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I'm going to jump right in and tell the Brassy Bastion a little bit about the magic that you do, and then I'll let you fill in the juicy details as we go along. Ariel is the founder of a successful PR firm, an international speaker, and author of four books, three out and one coming in 2015. Her trademarked award-winning cyber PR process marks the intersection of social media, PR, and online marketing. Her PR method is taught at several universities. However, she's best known in her industry for her ability to simplify and explain things that creative minds don't necessarily love, PR, marketing, and social media. All right, so I'm going to catch my breath, and can you fill us in on how you arrived at this magical place in your life where you're doing the work that you love by handling the things that many of us struggle with on a daily basis? Yes, I can. It's interesting when you're sort of in the zone of providing something that people do struggle with because for me, social media and communicating like this and PR, it's, it's fun and easy and I embrace it. And it's very interesting having conversations basically all day long with artists that are so allergic to this stuff. And I, I totally understand why I think, you know, when you sign up to express who you are through your art, um, you didn't sign up to tweet or do Instagram or Facebook or blog or maintain a website or look at your statistics for your newsletter opens or all the other things that don't feel great. I mean, how I arrived at it is basically I'm a huge music fan. I'm the daughter of a documentary filmmaker. So I grew up, my dad made films about art and artists. I grew up in a house full of interesting artists always coming around. And I, at a very early age, really began to understand the artists. Um, and my dad is very much like a lot of my clients where when he was starting out, the the world of filmmaking was very, very different. And then as he was hitting the pinnacle of his career, the entire filmmaking industry changed. And I watched what happens when you don't, when you don't actually decide to roll with the punches, when you, when you don't adapt to the changing world, um, how, how quickly the world will leave you behind. And so I see that every day with my artists where you know, not only do we have to do all this stuff, but it's really confronting because you think you've learned something that works or you know a way that was giving you great success in your past and now it's not working anymore. 
And that's just called living in, in the digital age. Uh, and so that's a very long answer to a short question. Isn't it? Um, but really, I, I love artists. I understand how they think. And I, I'm dyslexic and had learning disabilities growing up as a kid. And so I always had to figure out what felt really complicated and make it easy so that I could, you know, survive and thrive. And so I think that why I succeed at what I do and why artists are drawn to the systems that we create is I've done that for myself and then I sort of share it with the world. And so all of this stuff that seems confounding isn't really when you break it all down. When did you realize that cyber PR was going to be more than just a company and you actually needed to create a process? I started studying business, actually. Um, I was like many entrepreneurs. I just got this message, actually, from my mother, who's a very successful entrepreneur, and from a lot of people in my life, which was sort of do your passion, do what you love, and the money will follow. And um, that's actually not true. <laughs> and I did for many years just sort of follow what felt right. And, and I was, I was, um, I was okay. I was, I was not failing, but mm -hmm. I certainly, I, I started getting frustrated about eight to 10 years into running my own business. And I was, I was doing okay, but I, I kept thinking, you know, I'm a little bit too smart to just be doing okay. And people seem to really like my work, why, why is this not getting better? And so I started studying business and it all started with a little, well, two books. One book I read was called The E-Myth, which um, is the entrepreneurial myth. And I think absolutely every artist should read this book. And it really talks about, you know, why people with passion start their businesses, why artists decide to make a go at, at, making their art for commerce is, is exactly in that lane. And he talks about why, if you just do what you're passionate about, you will not succeed. And then I started looking at the amount of money I was making. And a, a girlfriend of mine gave me a book called The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And that book totally changed my life. It was very much an updated version of Think and Grow Rich, which is, um, kind of the financial book of, of, of all time, this book really, really broke it down and allowed me to see why I was getting stopped. And, you know, the stories that I had made up about, you know, not making money. And it's interesting when you're in an artist community and when you're in a community where people have opinions and judgments about making money from your art and selling out and, you know, when one makes it and the other doesn't, there's a feeling of guilt. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of negative bashing that goes on. It's really hard to then make a stand for yourself and go, you know what, I'd like to make a lot of money. So, so those two books basically uh, were the, were the starting off point of me realizing that I needed to systematize my business because when you're in a service-based business, as many musicians are, um, right? You get paid. You get paid. You're going to go play a gig. You get paid for the hours that you're on the stage. That's very hard to scale, and it's very hard if you don't have a process in place and a system in place. And so I began to study all that, and then 
once I started learning about these things, I was so excited to tell my artist community about it. It wasn't only the systematizing, but it was really the, I guess they call it information marketing. I just wanted to share it because my phone kept ringing and people kept saying, hi, what is publicity? Or hi, are you a publishing company? And I'm like, no, I know it starts with P-U-B, but it's totally different. And I just realized, you know, especially back then in the early 90s, before everybody got on the internet, it was really hard to to find out information. So um, I started writing about, you know, how to do stuff while I was figuring out how to systematize stuff, because it really came from the desire to want to help more people and get paid better. So it was sort of a, a two, it was a two-pronged approach. From reading those books, did you think it was, it was more your approach, like from the lack of having the system or was it just stuff that you were kind of making up in your own head as to why you hadn't made more money or maybe felt more successful up to that point? I think the latter, it all starts with what's in our head. And the more that we can clear out the cobwebs and move our own selves out of the way, um, I think the the better and, and stronger and faster succeeding um, happens. It just is that way. And I think once you're not mentally blocked, then then the other part can fall into place much more easily. What have you seen is maybe one of the biggest struggles that as artists we have to overcome to to reach that point where it's not in our head that it's that's what's keeping us back? I think it's three things. The first thing is you have to have a really honest conversation about the quality of your art. In this day and age where every computer comes with the capability of recording music, in this day and age where it is so inexpensive to just record and release and put it out into the world, um, I have seen a lot of times artists haven't. Another thing, the day and age of there's a lot of people out there that want your money. There's marketers, there's, there's booking people, there's managers for hire, there's radio promoters. And look, we, in the service side of this, I see it all the time, artists that have been very, very badly burned and their money has been taken. And sometimes when I listen to the music and then I hear, oh, and I spent 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 marketing this, I always want to say, wow, this art wasn't really ever going to make it. It wasn't the best art that this artist could have created. Um, sometimes it's a little tweak. Sometimes it's a full, you know, psychic surgery that the whole thing needs, but that's part of it. The second part of it, number two, is not understanding what the world wants. Listen to what the world wants. Um, two people that, or three people that really changed my opinion about music and, and what the world wants are Ralph Murphy um, who has the Murphy's Laws of Songwriting, Jay Frank, who wrote an incredible book called Future Hit DNA, where he talks about literally the DNA of a song. If you want a hit song, you need to understand, and this is Ralph's work too, the etymology of a hit song. 
And so you can't just make a song that you like because it feels good to you and then try to put it down the hit song funnel. There's a reason why most songs in country music sound a certain way. Most songs in pop music sound a certain way. Where does the vocal come in? On the one? What's the bridge like? You know, I mean, it's, it's, a lot of this is formulaic. Now, that's only if you're trying to be mainstream. Of course, the world wants interesting and unique and cool things, but you sometimes have to, have to really get honest with yourself about, you know, what's the market for what you're creating. If you're creating classic singer-songwriter music and you sound like Carole King and Joni Mitchell and Carly Simon, you know, does, is the world looking for that? Does the world want that right now? Who would want that? If I'm a 65-year-old music fan, am I buying any new music? You know, really think about those things. Um, and then I would say the third component to, to really getting honest is being able to be flexible in success when it shows up. And I think that the most successful artists that I know are the ones that were able to ride the waves. So maybe your dream was you wanted to tour the world playing only your totally um, original music that you write, but then it might show up really differently and you might get the opportunity to tour the world playing in someone else's band or managing someone's tour or playing cover songs. I mean, I've seen magic happen, magic, magic, when you're able to go, I think a day in my life is a better day if I'm holding my guitar than if I'm not, you know, as opposed to, you know, I just, it has to show up this way and I have to be, you know, that's when it's going to be tricky at, at best. So I watched your interview with uh, the creative entrepreneur, and I will be sure to include a link to that in the show notes for this show. I wanted to take a little bit deeper dive into a couple of the topics that I saw you discuss there. And the first one is, as a musician or as a business, how do you determine what your primary niche is? And when do you know when it's either time to pivot or maybe expand on it? There's never been an easier time to figure this out. And that's what's so cool. Facebook has a little button called Insight. Twitter gives you statistics. Your newsletter will literally, if you have a good service like Constant Contact or MailChimp, they will tell you not only how many people open your email, but where they live, what time of day. And and this is amazing. You know, also look out at the audience when you're playing. Um <laughs> You know, you might think that you're appealing to college age kids, but you might see a bunch of 30 year olds in front of you, or you might think that your music is supposed to be landing for a female audience, but then look at your stats and go, wait a minute, it looks like only dudes are listening to me or whatever. So this is a really good first place to get some good feedback. Look at your SoundCloud. Who's liked you? Who's making comments? And then decide to pinpoint a very specific niche and then figure out, okay, where are those people and go after those and see if it resonates. See if the hunch on your um, existing 
sort of evidence is the right hunch. Um, and so I, I think testing the waters gently is, is always a good, good place to start. I mean, if you're convinced that like fans of a specific artist are also going to really, really like you and don't choose, you know, Led Zeppelin or, you know, the biggest artist in the world, maybe choose someone that you might be able to play with someone in your hometown, someone who's two or three years ahead of you. That's the type of audience you're looking for. Not everybody that likes Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I would, that's what I would recommend. And these are really, really um, good places to start. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So one of the other things that you talked about um, was the importance of your signature story. So I was curious what you find are typically your client's biggest obstacles in actually creating their, their own signature story. And do you think it's sometimes maybe harder for us as women to actually see greatness and share our story because maybe we're concerned that, oh, it's going to sound like I'm bragging. Yeah, it's going to sound like you're bragging and the culture of shaming women um, that have any type of success is so prevalent. Um, I just watched a documentary a couple of nights ago called Are Women Funny? I think it's called. And it was about the, the comedy world. I might be getting the name a little bit wrong, but I'll look it up. But the point was... Um, the point of this of this documentary was women in the comedy world um, are, yeah, it's called Women Aren't Funny. And it's by a comedian named Bonnie McFarlane. And she goes around the country asking everyone from the most famous uh, comedians to Joan Rivers about fe- females in comedy. And what you quickly see is out of all of the thousands of comedians that are on the road doing the circuit right now, only 11 of them are women. Really? Yeah. It's like, it's incredible. And then you find out that, you know, out of, out of, out of a hundred dudes that are doing stand up, five are women. Um, and so yes, back to that. It, it's first of all, a signature story is not a bio. And we've come up in a world where bios were sort of the standard fare for like, I'm creating a press kit or I'm building my website or I need to send something to a booker. And then you put together this bio and the bio writer interviews you and they start with some, you know, basic getting to know you questions like, where were you born? And how did the band form? And where did you study your music? And, And all of that is interesting from a historical perspective, but that is not your signature story. And your signature story needs to be a moment, an antidote, something that was a pivotal moment for you. Why are you making music? Why are you making music about a very specific topic? Um, what was the day that you realized that music had to be what you do? I was talking to an artist yesterday and she, you know, wrote me this beautiful email and said, I've lost so many people in my life, best friends, my father, 
Then I got sick and I was lying in a hospital bed and the prognosis wasn't good. And I just kept thinking, I I need to make music and I hadn't done it. Um, That's a signature story right there. Not everybody has some sort of giant profound signature, you know, like, oh my gosh moment, but that's, that's the heart of it. That's what, what a signature story is. And the reason why it is so relevant is people are starving to connect. That is why social media is doing what it's doing. That is why there's 1.3 billion people on Facebook, like it or not. We love connecting to one another and we're connecting via stories. And so as women, yes, it has been historically, we have been shamed for bragging. We're not allowed to do that because what would people think? And so that's, that definitely will give, will feel challenging. And then, you know, the other thing is if your story Um, I think women more than men worry about, is everybody going to like us? Right. You know, are we good enough? Are we smart enough? Are we thin enough? Are we whatever it is enough? And that little monster, especially when you begin to put yourself out, really will come into play to work against you. And so, you know, if you write a story, you're, there's always this question around, do I really deserve to have this story? Can I really put this out there? So it's, it's, I think it's less about feeling like you're bragging and more about like feeling like you have the right to go out and be bold in what you're saying. How do we get around that? Like that whole not good enough monster? Again, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is moving yourself out of the way. I mean, the, the cool thing about all the technology And all of the research, especially recent research on the brain, the brain is a malleable thing. Just because you think something right now might be true for you, it's not necessarily that that will be true forever. Um, You can retrain your brain to cancel out those negative messages that you probably got from a horribly critical parent or a boss. Or, I mean, this woman, again, I spoke to yesterday said she was doing really well in her community and a fellow musician said something so scathing and so hurtful and so painful that she stopped singing for five years. Oh my gosh. It, it can happen. Um, a friend of mine works at a, um, a clinic for overweight, you know, for people that are obese. She says that, that she sees it all the time. One person's opinion can trigger a a hundred pound weight gain. So we, we're that sensitive. And so, you know, putting yourself behind bulletproof glass, surrounding yourself with people who are positive, who are not ripping you down, reading books about, you know, self-esteem, looking to raise your, your thermostat in wherever you've got a lack is so, so important. For me, I, I like to listen to self-help, uh, like audio you know, podcasts, mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I, when I listen to them on a weekly basis, I have a better week because I'm filling my soul and my heart and my head with positive messages. The minute you turn on the news, it's filling your soul with negative messages. 
you know, so be careful about also what you're spending your time doing. I mean, if you've got a Netflix addiction and it's violent, maybe you should switch that to a, uh, a positive podcast addiction so that you can get some different types of information coming into your head. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that you talked about was fear of transitioning out of your comfort zone which has been with musicians to expanding to working with entrepreneurs. How, how's that going for you with that transition? It's going well, but I will say, and again, this is like, you know, the need to take your own advice. Whenever you try to pivot or change something, we are not designed to embrace, you know, those changes so rapidly And especially if you've gotten known in a very particular area or niche, or you're playing a certain type of music, you know, all of a sudden, if you decide to change it radically, it's going to be just the way that it is to, to get agreement from new people. So it's been really wonderful. And I'm through, I think the hard part of the, of the pivot out, but it was definitely not easy. It was definitely not easy, and I had to um, take a lot of my own advice, which you and I are talking about right now. But um, mm-hmm. you, ha- I had to realize that as much as I absolutely love and will probably always serve musicians in some way, I really did also want to serve entrepreneurs because as a 20-year business owner, I felt that I really had something I wanted to share there on that side of, of the house. Um, and so it was, it was one baby step at a time. You know, I had to go, okay, let me just find one client who's not a musician and start there. Are you seeing similarities at all between the entrepreneurs and your musician clients? Absolutely. Yes. I think that when you're in a marketplace that where there's a little bit more money flowing, it's a little bit easier on some of my entrepreneur clients in that the goods and the services and the products that they're offering are not available for free on Spotify. Um, But it's still about having a plan, having a focus, figuring out what your, you know, your key messages um, and having targets that you go after having having the sort of wherewithal to keep your eye on the prize and not get distracted. So all of those principles absolutely remain. And, you know, I always love working with women. And again, that same moving yourself out of the way side of this side of the house is, is key. So how do you stay ahead of the curve with new technology and social media? Because I swear it feels like there is something new out there every day. There is. Um, I don't actually think that I stay so far ahead of the curve. I'm not a big believer, especially with, with artists that we need to be early adopters. Maybe if something calls to you that you find out about, that's so amazing, but really I'm a big believer in go where there's already a track record. If you do see something brand new that pops up, that's getting buzzed about or blogged about, and that's how I find out about pretty much everything is, reading technology blogs, reading social media blogs, and just keeping my eye on trends. Um, You know, I'll keep my eye on it for long enough until I see it begin to create a buzz. And then once it does that, we might look at it, you know, do we need to add that in 
um, here at CyberPR is that part of the bag of tricks that we're going to be, you know, arming ourselves with. But I really think unless you already know how to use what's out there right now, don't concern yourself with the next shiny object. That is a huge relief to hear. (laughs) And it makes sense. I mean, it, it totally makes sense now that you say that. So yeah. All right. We can all breathe a little sigh of relief with that. I believe that we all bring a unique superpower to the table that's been instrumental in our success. What superpower is it that you bring to your clients? Oh, wow. That's a cool question. Thanks. I think the superpower I bring is my desire to educate my clients and and to really take their hands and bring them through this journey because that's where the power in this stuff lies. I'm not a big believer in hire someone to do stuff for you if you are not understanding what that stuff is because you will always be rendered powerless. And that doesn't mean that you have to learn how to be a radio pitcher or you have to you know, learn how to be a publicist and do every single thing, or you don't have to learn how to manage all your social media if you would rather stab a pen in your eye. (laughs) But, you know, even in the studio, if you know a few of the basics, it's going to save you A, a lot of money. B, when you hire someone, you're going to have a sense of, are they doing that right? You know, I always joke about car mechanics. It's like, you know, these people do this magical stuff Um, when I owned a car, I went to this amazing car mechanic who was a woman and she was the only car mechanic in the town I was living in. It was Boulder, Colorado that had a reputation of not ripping people off. And she was like, you know what? I just taught myself how to be a car mechanic because this isn't rocket science. And I wanted to help people. Um, so I don't think you have to go that far, but it's, it's very interesting. My favorite clients are the ones who have gotten a good grip on their marketing and PR, or at least know what they want. And they're not so scared and confronted and freaked out by it because then we can really partner. That makes sense. To go along with your superpower, what tool has been really critical for you in helping your clients be successful? Is it social media? Is it something else? I think the tool that if, if everyone listening and all the, all my clients could get that is the most important tool to, to rely on for your career. And it's not a sexy tool. It's your newsletter. Why is that? Because even now in 2015, every single report, every single prediction is still showing that where we're going to make the most amount of money and where the originating message is going to come from that's going to get you paid is in your newsletter list. All right. There you have it, Brassy Bastion. Something else that I believe in pretty strongly is that mentors often play a key role in our success. Have you had a mentor that impacted your career? I have. It's very interesting. I've found a lot of frustration when I got into the music business of the sort of lack of mentors that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I was... I. I'm very lucky in that my mother is an entrepreneur. And so I grew up not having fear around entrepreneurial things. So that was sort of a built-in early mentor. and, And that was great. 
And then later in my life, um, my first job ever was working at a record label called What Are Records? And at the time, he was not my mentor, but he very much became a huge ally later. Um, The president of that record label, Rob Gordon, um, has been someone who has been so generous with what he gives. Um, it's, it's been a real gift and there have been, there have been people along the way. I have not really had a mentor that has sort of been my guardian angel through, through all of this, but you know, how I sort of surplanted that was I began to follow the work of some of the writers that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and T. Harv Eker, who wrote The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, I joined a lot of, I went to a lot of his workshops and classes. And even though I didn't, he doesn't know who I am, um, I would say that a lot of my success has to do with listening to his teachings. Um, so for those of you who are like, I need to have a mentor and that person has to show up and sort of be the person that I talk to it doesn't always have to show up that way. Um, your mentor could be Gloria Steinem. Your mentor could be Amanda Palmer. Your mentor could be Karen O. I mean, it's interesting. Um, be careful when you're thinking about mentors. And I think a lot of times mentors can be people that teach us what we don't want just as much as, as what we do. I had, I've had some pretty horrible bosses along the way. And I think about, you know, when I watched how they did business and how they treated people, they, they, they mentored me just as much by showing me what I would never want to do. So, so there, there's, there's that, there's that, but I would say it's people's generosity and it's, it always starts with who, you know, and that's where the the mentor pool is going to come, come from. So you have traveled the world and spoken at tons of big events. What has been the most mind-blowing event of your career where you just had to pinch yourself and say, did that just, did that just really happen? You know, that is impossible to answer. I, I, I love traveling. And when I was beginning to put some thought around creating the life that I wanted, I began, you know, when I started really digging into this, when I started adjusting my business and going, okay, what would make me want to get out of bed in the morning? Travel was at the top of that list. And I started studying, you know, marketing and started all of that stuff. And I'll never forget. I think it's, this will be the one I'll say, but, uh, but I'll say something about that pinch me moment because they happened to me all the time, literally almost every time I travel, I look around and go, Oh my God, I'm like in Iceland. I'm in wherever I'm in, I'm in Australia, wherever. And I think who let me do this? (laughs) Pinch, 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 you know? So yeah, it's, it, it happens. It's happened on literally almost every single trip. It's been such an incredible gift that I've gotten to go and speak and share my ideas and give back to this community. Um, But I very much, that didn't happen by accident. That happened because that was a dream of mine. That happened because 
I orchestrated that. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you that want to have a pinch me moment, really look at where you are today and look at what would be the penultimate for you. Is it that you'd want to tour Europe? Is it that you'd want to play in Tokyo? Is it that you'd want to go on a 50 state tour of the U.S.? Is it that you just want to play? You know, I spoke to a great art artist, Pat Foran, a couple days ago. He only wants to play in the two towns next to his house. And that's his whole dream. Like that would be his pinch me. So everybody's got a different moment. Um, But the one that I will share is I spoke in a tiny folk conference in 2008 in Ontario. And the folk conference was one of the, the most challenging conferences I'd ever spoken at because A, Canadians are very humble and they were extremely close to what I was saying. B, they were all folk musicians. C, they were all over the age of, it felt like a hundred. And D, I was in the middle of like, I don't even know where Ontario in a 27,000 foot snow drift. And I was like, everybody should try Twitter. And like these people just looked at me like this girl has got to be kidding us. Um, And it was humbling and I stood my ground and I did my talk and I walked out of there thinking, oh gosh, that really was very challenging. And there had been a woman in the back of the room from Australia who was also there. And she came up to me and she said, I think you're the most brilliant person I've ever seen. And I can't believe you just spoke in this room. Um, And a year later, she helped me book a tour to Australia and, um, Australians are the opposite of, of what I just described. And I, I was greeted with people that couldn't wait to hear what I had to say. And my talk was so popular that they had to book a second and a third session. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I mean, I think that was the moment where I just couldn't even believe I was alive. I was like in Sydney, Australia. It was beautiful. You know, it was amazing. Um, so that was my super duper pinch me, but there, there literally have been, there's been one everywhere. And so for those of you that have a big goal, you never know who's going to be in the back of the room that's going to make that happen, which is why really giving it 150% every single time is, is, is the key to that, to, to your success. Absolutely. So what's revving your creative engines right now? Right now, I am in the final throes of um, editing my my book. I'm working with a real editor. It's very exciting. Um, and it's all about crowdfunding. We're beginning to do crowdfunding coaching here at, at Cyber PR um, because it's such a necessary part of the puzzle. Um, and so we're helping artists with 30-day campaigns, getting them up onto the rails and getting helping them to get their projects funded. And I really, really like this work because as a crowdfunding coach, um, and it fits in with the whole social media and the PR side of the house of what we do here, but I'm not attached in the way that the person that's trying to get the money is. And so it, it's really um, key. And if any of you are thinking of crowdfunding this year, get yourself someone onto your team to really help you who, who isn't going to be flipping out about (laughs) 
asking for money because it's not them that's asking, it's you. Um, and, and that has been really fun and exciting because I can see all these great projects and I can see how they're going to add value to the world. And then I see the way that the person that's launched the project is actually talking about it. And it has nothing to do with those two things. It's, it can be really confusing. So um, that's been really fun. Cool. I can't wait to check that book out. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to have it out by April. Great. Um, I will be sure to put links to that when as soon as that is available. And unfortunately, we are out of time. This has been just a fantastic conversation, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. The pleasure is mine. I'm so excited to find out about you and hear that there's a female voice in this in this mess of men. <laughs> you know, I think um, I think no offense to the men listening, but there's something really special when women get together and stand for each other in the artistic community. There's really nothing better than it. So I'm so excited to, to help you in any way I can. And anyone out there, please come, come follow me on Twitter and let's continue the conversation. So that was my next question. Where can people catch up with you, um, on social media? What's the best place to see what's going on in your world? Twitter is my social media drug of choice. So you can find me at cyber PR, C-Y-B-E-R-P-R. And then if you're interested in finding out about if I'm speaking in your area or if you want to read our current blog posts, it's cyberprmusic.com. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Bree Noble and music by Stella Ronson. <laughs>